0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm Cleo. I'm James.
1: And I'm Corinne.
0: And on this episode, we're going to be discussing psychological horror film Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lin. Uh, so I guess, I mean, we can really just start this off by how, I guess my thing is like, how much did this film actually like get in your head? How much did the content of this film like actually creep you out or scare you?
2: zero percent
0: <laughs>
3: yeah there were a couple of things early on where it was just like oh yeah this is like eerie or creepy but at the same time i've got a really low bar for that so it's just like oh they're playing scary music i'm fucked and <laughs> that was just kind of it um i don't like i thought the the sequence at the beginning with the subway car um was creepy i mean yeah. but i don't maybe that's magnified by the fact that i semi-regularly get off at bergen I gotta say, the most unsettling thing there is that he got off what was like a it was like an A C or E train at Bergen Street, and that's just
0: not how that works anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things things uh, have changed since nineteen seventy five. Um The s- movie is is nineteen ninety that's set in seventy five. Okay. I thought that there was supposed to be a longer period of time
3: in that, that he wasn't that it was I knew that, I mean, obviously the Vietnam stuff was 70s. Okay, I I misinterpreted that.
0: Yeah, I think it's only supposed to be a couple years removed from having back from Vietnam in early 70s. Gotcha. My understanding is it's set in 75.
3: It looked like it was more of like a... Well, we can talk about this later, but yeah.
2: I thought all the creepy elements were like pleasantly creepy, like entertainingly creepy. Like, I don't know. Like, that's. it's just... Compared to what we had been doing, it was... Pleasantly.
0: Spoilers for our next episode. Fuck evil with them.
2: Okay. uh, Yeah. It, it was, like, refreshingly, like, oh, this is kind of creepy, and I, I like it because that's what I was expecting out of a example of this genre. Right. I, I think, like, yeah, the subway
1: scene, which is, like, the first instance of of, like, you know, that kind of creepy, at least, kind of was the peak of the creepiness for me as well. And... Again, it could just be because, like, as someone who has frequently taken New York subway, like, late at night, and, like, you know, some weird shit sometimes ha- happens, thing like that. But after that, it was kind of downhill with how, like, like the, my level of actually being scared. Like, there's some things, like, conceptually, I thought, like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And, like, yeah, I could see how that would be, like, kind of creepy, but for me, like, visually or just for whatever reason, it didn't really do it for me.
2: There was a sequence later on in the movie at, I guess, sort of the climax of the movie for like the creepiness climax of the movie that mm. w- I thought was really cool, but I wasn't like affected by it.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of thing where I would say, I I, don't know, I guess personally for me, I would have liked it if someone had, if I had known going in that there aren't like a lot of jump scares. I, I, there's like one that I can think of and it's not really much of a jump scare. It's more just like a... It's, like, fast cut with noise. Right. Um, which, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, like, is something that gets to me and makes me uncomfortable and makes me, like... It's part of what makes me not generally like stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And But it's the kind of thing where it makes me like something a lot more if I can go into it and just be like, no, this movie's going to be, like, creepy and there's going to be, say, like, some kinds of, like, disturbing imagery or whatever. But there's not going to be a lot of stuff that, like, really... Freaks you out there in the moment. I sort of wish I'd known that going in because I feel like I could have enjoyed watching it a lot more.
0: Instead, you were just kind of tense and ready for the, yeah. the alternative. I
3: mean, it's almost like the point of scary movies is to make you feel tense and uncomfortable. But <laughs> uh, so it's it's stuff like that where like I, I completely realize that my my criticism of the experience is I don't like this kind of movie. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think that's like a valid criticism at all. But I was I was talking to uh, to Chelsea about this and i said that like i i just finished the movie and i said i i thought it was really good but i didn't like watching it just because it's that same kind of thing where it's just like oh i'm tense here and i don't know if like something's going to jump out and like be really scary and i just don't like that and somehow i keep having to read watch and play this kind of garbage for this
0: <sighs> man that's weird
3: every halloween <laughs>
1: <laughs> the first time that i saw this movie was maybe about 10 years ago i was yeah I was, I was definitely in like later high school and the reason i watched it was because i had read that it was one of the inspirations for silent hill um yep mm-hmm. and so i was like i love silent hill let's check this out and i was kind of i just spent the entire time watching it like trying to figure out okay so what from this movie exactly inspired Silent Hill? And I still, even the second time around, I'm still like, there's some things that are vaguely familiar. If you're like, you know, if you've played any of the Silent Hill games, but not enough so that I felt like really satisfied with the experience. If that's like what you're going into the movie, kind of hoping for.
3: Yeah, If you want, if you want a Silent Hill, the movie, that's better than Silent, Silent, Hill, Silent the Hill, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't quite that, no. Uh,
2: so, did did we like it?
3: I did. Yes, I would say it. Again, a previous comment establishing like weird definition of like for this. I thought it was really good. I mean, for, I like for some something that ideas. is in a genre that I know I don't like. I'm sorry, Claire. What was
1: that? I say I like some of the ideas it presents, but I don't know if the execution was like really doing it for me a lot. You know, like I liked the. <laughs> idea of the movie and I liked some of the scenes but as a whole I don't know if it really felt cohesive enough for me to really fully get into it.
2: I generally enjoyed the watching experience uh I don't think it was like I don't think for me it was anything really special um it was just kind of a movie from 1990 that Did some interesting things and largely wasn't scary when it felt like it maybe was trying to be and had some cool scenes that I liked and was like, oh yeah, that was, that was neat and kind of creepy. And overall it was just like, when I was done, I was like, well, great. That experience just happened to me. The end.
0: (laughs) I am perfectly whelmed right now.
2: Yes.
3: Um, I'm excited. I think this is the most different opinions we've had on an episode for a while yeah like i mean there there have been a few where there have been like you know a couple camps or like you know subtle differences but like a general just in one direction because i i'm excited because i feel like i was like almost the exact opposite of euchre and where it was just like yeah i didn't really enjoy the watching of it but i it came with me like oh yeah like i liked a lot of the stuff that was going on but that's neat i'm excited it's gonna be a
0: fun one <laughs> but i also I've, and i and i think cleo's in this camp with me but like i tend to really enjoy, like, more surrealist stuff. Yeah. Like, some, some surrealist stuff is way too out there, and I can't get into it. I just can't. But this is, like, the kind of right amount of, like, regular mainstream fiction that is very surrealist. Um, And I think that's part of why I enjoyed it as, as much as I did. It's an interesting choice of words, because I don't think I would call this surreal.
1: I, if anything, I kind of wish it had been more surreal. Like, it kind of flirted with it. And had these sequences that were kind of like, okay, this is a little bit weird, and now we're, like, trying to be really weird. But for me, like, surrealist stuff— It never
0: quite crossed the threshold. Yeah,
1: like, it works if it all seems kind of, like, very meaningful, at least in retrospect. And for me, I kind of felt like when I was trying to—you know, not to get into spoilers yet, but, like, with the ending and whatnot, when I was trying to kind of tie all these things together, it was only, like, the threads connecting things were very loose for me. And I kind of wanted to be a little tighter.
2: Um, I actually, I I think I agree with you, Cleo. I think it really could have benefited from being more surreal and sort of like breaking down more through the course of the movie. But it it kind of felt like they were trying to save that so that they could have their aha moment at the end. And uh, I felt like that was actually kind of a disservice. I think it would have very much benefited from being a little more like out there and crazy or at least if it had reached that point through the course of the film
3: i wonder if because i i think i don't know that that would have benefited the things that i liked about the movie but i do wonder if that would have made it a more effective scary movie
0: it probably would have made it a less scary movie i don't know i feel surrealism i feel like is is more weird than anything else just sort of by its by its nature and that can be scary, but I, I I feel like if the movie was even more surreal, it would it would still be psychological horror, but it would probably move further into the psychological camp than the horror camp.
2: I mean, I think the movie already lost all of its scariness over the course over its course. Like it started off like like cool and weird and creepy, and then just became I, I'm gonna say blasé about all of it by about halfway through the movie. Like, if it was already going to lose that creepiness, it might as well just start, like you said, full tilt, full tilt, just breaking down reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it oddly kind of reminded me
1: of now that I'm thinking about it is Serial Experiments Lane, that anime from like, I want to say like 2000, 2001. I you're really talking to wish three
0: people who have no idea what you're talking about, I think.
1: All right. Never mind. Some someone in our audience will know what I'm talking about. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's very insightful cleo and i will sit here having an imaginary
2: conversation with that person (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can tell us like like your thoughts on that but we won't be able to contribute in any way to the conversation i I would even
3: say more just like yeah i need a second of context but i would like to know what the connection is Yeah, yeah so
2: it's just basically
1: like it's been a long time since i've seen the anime but it's it's very surreal in some ways and um, in a way that I feel like is probably more successful than Jacob's Ladder. But also, like, there are some scenes that are genuinely, like, very creepy, and you can't quite necessarily say why, other than, like, visually it's, like, somewhat disturbing. Like, the use of shadows and whatnot is, like, a little bit weird, or, like, there's something that's just, like, slightly out of place. But for me, like, that, I remember, also I was very young when I watched it, so it was like, oh my god, this is, like, really creeping me out but with Jacob's Ladder I felt like there was a little bit of a push for like oh yeah we're going to put this thing that's kind of out of place here and it's going to be like really creepy but then it kind of was more just weird like for instance I mean this is not really a spoiler because it's kind of like a whatever scene but like he opens a fridge door and there's like a sheep's head in there like just like you know the way that some people have sheep's heads like raw sheep heads I think it was a sheep in their fridge to cook later and it had like the eyeballs in it kind of looks at it for a while and he's like okay that's maybe not normal, but it's also wrapped in saran wrap, which kind of makes it look like a normal leftover thing or something that, like, someone's saving to cook later. And I got the feeling that they were trying to be like, oh, yeah, like, in that, doesn't that scare you? And I was like, not really. I think it's weird, but I'm not scared.
2: Yeah, we I, we can talk about that whole sequence uh, after the spoiler break, I think, because it, w- it was a largely interesting sequence, in my opinion.
3: I wonder if um, I wonder if this movie was scarier in 1990.
2: I would say probably yes. I mean, there's been a lot of like s- like scary movie history that has occurred from like 1990 to today that we just grew up with and have seen and been exposed to. So I, I don't know if it has the same impact as it might have had to somebody who watched it at that time.
3: Yeah. I mean, it might have even just been sort of, like, it cultural norms. I think, yeah, like, what you're talking about, just, like, what you're accustomed to, what you think of as a scary movie, what is, like, scary to people more or less often. Because I wonder if that might have something to do with it. Because it feels like, like, when I was saying earlier, there's, like, not a lot of jump scares, right? I I am not nearly well-versed enough in just the history of horror films to know, like, what would have constituted, like, a scary movie at different points in history. But I feel like more of the older scary movies that i've seen do tend towards being creepy in the way that this is right where it's there are things that are unusual there are things that are like conceptually scary but fewer things where they do that like hard cut loud sound like thing that thing that's designed to scare the viewer well that elicits a physical reaction in like a human being right like it that those are just like if you're not expecting something to come out at you like that, it's right. just like a, a gut, like lizard brain response as opposed to things where something is creepy because it creates like an awkward tone and it makes you feel a certain way. But if you're accustomed to that, it maybe becomes less effective over time. Whereas I, don't know, I would imagine that jump scares probably become less effective over time, but it gets hard. It's still hard to c- totally control that. Just the jerk. The yeah. Jump. Like yeah, that. Like you just. Yeah, that like bit, like right at like the base of your brain, top of your spine response that just says like, there's a thing, like adjust. So I wonder if it's something like that, where it's just like the way that people tended to make scary movies and people just got used to things like that, where it's just like, oh, hey, sheep's head. Yeah. Versus. <laughs> yeah. Versus like, oh,
0: that's a thing that I don't expect to see in fridges. What's up with that? Why is that there? I also think I, I've, there's a lot of talk of like Jacob's Ladder being a kind of foundational film. Yeah, And that a lot of what it's done, like it got a very big cult following and a lot of people who went on to design and direct and create horror experiences since then will we'll list Jacob's Ladder toward the top of things that influence them in terms of what they've done. And so I do wonder if it's the kind of film that pushed all of the, the envelopes that we're talking about exactly the way it would have in 1990. And because of that groundwork and what's happened since then, it now is underwhelming because of all that. I'd because of what we know of to be like horror and surreal horror, psychological horror, that kind of stuff. I'd say that's certainly possible. Brings me
2: back to replay and the way that we were talking about how like, you know, it seemed to really dwell on these concepts that we've already like
0: Seen largely again, worked yeah.
2: through time and time again. And it's like, oh, but wait, this is actually kind of the first thing that did that. So we're not really taking it on its own groundbreaking merits for its, for its own time
0: right but i mean it's very hard like you can acknowledge that and understand that but it it doesn't change the way that you end up viewing the movie just because we you know we come to it at the time we do but
3: so yeah so spinning kind of spinning off of that do you think that jacob's ladder holds up the way that replay did i mean obviously we talked about replay not really holding up and feeling like weird and dated in a whole bunch of like really specific ways but the general time travel idea was still really interesting and compelling even though we'd seen that done again do you think that Jacob's Ladder does I mean we just talked about maybe it's a bit less scary than it was when it first came out but bigger idea wise even though we've seen a bunch of other things kind of you know do those again sort of rip them off things like that
2: I honestly like like we've hit a lot of like uh, existential crisis causing concepts through the course of this podcast and nothing like that Struck me even a little bit in Jacob's Ladder, like it's core, like, oh, this is this is our concept that will make you think, kind of thing. Just I was just so unaffected by it. So for me, no, I didn't care at all. I was like, oh, neat, you know, moving on.
0: <laughs> How was you, Justin? I, I mean, I thought it held up well enough. It's, it's not the kind of, it's not the movie where, I mean, I mean, I. I guess I feel the same way Corinne does, more or less, but just not negatively. Like, I, I don't think any of the things where the movie was like, oh, this is, you know, you should really think about this metaphorical concept that we're bringing in here. And I was like, none of that really, like, worked as well as it probably did in 1990. Um, but the 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 general the general tone of the movie and the things they were trying to do, like, I think a lot of it holds up well enough, even if now it almost seems derivative or uninspired
1: yeah like this is a movie that i would feel weird about like recommending to another person uh because i would i'd be worried that they would be kind of bored maybe even like if it's because i wouldn't recommend it necessarily to someone who doesn't like horror movies or like you know eerie movies but then at the same time i feel weird recommending it to someone who really likes horror movies because this is not like this kind of seems like borderline-ish to me um, but then I don't know what, necessarily what, this is gonna sound really brutal, but I don't know what value it has as something other than a horror movie, because it's not quite enough of anything else. Like, it doesn't, like, certain ideas maybe like, you know, maybe pause and think, oh yeah, like, that would, that kind of makes sense and, and I can't like, talk about it in depth without going to spoilers, but like, yeah, there are certain things that you're like, okay, like, if it were me, what would my circumstances, how would my circumstances be different or, like, how would I, like, try to choose to navigate the situation differently? But it wasn't, like, this is not a film I'd want to, there's a reason the last time I watched this was a decade ago, and films I really like I watched, you know, fairly regularly, like, over and over again. Yeah, it just, it felt like it was almost there for me, but it didn't quite reach it.
3: That's really interesting. I I think I'm on the other side. Like, I, all the stuff that I really liked about the movie I thought, like, was really effective. I really liked a lot of the big idea stuff. Um, and I thought that did hold up but i think the big thing for me is it's definitely i think it loses some of its excitingness by having been like seen before but it i for me it felt like it gained it back by being able to watch this and say i bet that this is where this other director got this idea or this other game got that idea yeah. or this or that came from i really like the way that they like built these themes into it and i i feel like i can see where previous like literary works that they're pulling from and like future things that pulled from this so i think that even though some of the ideas are not that surprising like i i think that i caught on to one of the big conceits of the film pretty early because it felt like it was structured in the same way as a lot of things that have that same conceit Mm -hmm. um but at the same time being thinking about that conceit and being trying to be aware of things that would point you one direction or another in regards to that I think made watching the film still really interesting. And the fact that always in my head I had, okay, it seems to be referencing this earlier thing. And it, I think that this later thing called back to it here. And I, I really liked those things.
2: So it it seems largely like, uh, like today it survives best as sort of like a, like a cultural artifact or like a, a snapshot in the history of a genre. Um,
3: yeah. I think, I still think it stands on its own, but I do think that, uh, In that sense, it's probably diminished um, a pretty healthy amount from its original release. I think it's still good enough to warrant watching. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but I I can think of two or three people that I know who I would say I think would really enjoy having seen this. Again, even if it's not – even if a big part of that is you really like horror films and are interested in the history of horror films, and if you haven't seen this, though at this point those people probably have – you would probably really enjoy watching it and being able to get everyone who went back and was inspired by this movie.
2: I was going to say, it really feels like a film school movie to me. Like, something that you watch when you're specifically studying, or, you know, maybe not film school. Specifically, if you're particularly interested in looking at the history of this particular genre this is a movie you would pick up and watch.
3: I would say that's probably the area where it's, yeah, where it's going to be the strongest. Like yeah. I said, I, I still think that it stands on its own. I But again, I think that it, I think that I think that more than uh, everyone else in the room. So, yeah. which is fair. So maybe that's, maybe that's not necessarily true. But if you tend to agree with me on our <laughs> movie and just our general media topics, maybe you will enjoy it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I definitely agree that. I think that that's the, that's definitely the, the area where it's strongest as a cultural artifact, a historical document for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So with that, I do think we should probably cut into the spoiler break. Yeah, I think that's true. So
3: um, that's going to be our spoiler free section for Jacob's ladder. Come back next episode, where we're going to be talking about the evil within. And then after that, we're going to do our overall topic episode. Just a reminder that is always Spoiler-filled, so if you're jumping out here, uh, probably not one you want to come back for. But after that, our next topic is going to be sci-fi noir, where we are going to be reading Altered Carbon and watching Blade Runner and playing Gemini Rue. So that should be exciting because none of us have played Gemini Rue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, though, we're going to swing into our summary And then we'll be back for the spoiler section.
0: Our story opens with a montage of Vietnam War imagery before we settle in on one encampment of U.S. soldiers in the jungle. As unseen enemies attack from the trees, many of the soldiers are torn apart. Jacob Singer watches as one of his comrades-in-arms seems to fall suddenly ill, seizing and bleeding from the mouth without having taken a single hit. As he rushes off into the jungle, he's accosted and stabbed by an unseen figure. The film cuts to a subway train. Jacob Singer sits alone in an empty car, a copy of The Stranger in his hand. He moves to the next car and asks an old woman if they've passed Bergen Street. She just stares at him, apparently not understanding the question. As the train pulls into Bergen Street Station, Jacob goes to leave, but not before noticing a homeless man sleeping across some seats and the curious tail-like appendage that seems to sprout from his jacket. But the doors start to close and Jacob leaps out. He tries to leave the station, but all the doors are barred and chained. He attempts to cross over to the opposite platform in the empty train station and narrowly avoids being hit by a train that appears to be full of faceless people staring at him through the windows. One watches out the back and waves. It's the first of many strange encounters that Jacob has. He makes his way home to an apartment he shares with his girlfriend, Jessie after an apparent divorce from his wife, Sarah. He's haunted by dreams of Vietnam, and is woken by Jesse getting ready for the day. She hands him some pictures that were dropped off for him, when he sees a photo of his now dead son, Gabe, Jacob begins to cry. Jesse gathers the photos and tosses them in the incinerator, claiming she doesn't like things that make him cry. After a day at work, Jacob visits his chiropractor, Lewis. He comments on how angelic Lewis seems to him from that chair. As he makes his way home, a car tries to run him over. He dives out of the way at the last second and sees it contains the blurry, faceless forms he saw on the subway. Jacob then tries to see his doctor, but the nurse at the hospital tells him that no such doctor has ever worked there. When he notices something inhuman on her head, he freaks and runs deeper into the hospital searching for Dr. Carlson himself. He discovers a group therapy session in what used to be his doctor's office, and the doctor there informs him that Dr. Carlson died when his car exploded in a freak accident several months earlier. Jacob then ends up at a dance party with Jezzy. Uh, while she's on the dance floor, Jacob gets his fortune read by a woman sitting on the stairs. According to his palm, he's already dead, she laughs. Jesse pulls him onto the dance floor then, but he's not really into dancing. He watches a man turn into one of the blurry-faced people, his head shaking and vibrating at an inhuman speed. Jacob begins to panic, and he sees the man Jesse is dancing with begin transforming into some strange creature, its long appendages wrapping around her as their movements become more and more erotic. Jacob collapses onto the floor, moaning in terror. He wakes at home, suffering from a terrible fever. Jesse calls their doctor and concludes he needs to be put in an ice bath. She dumps all their ice in the tub as it fills with water and rallies the assistance of their neighbors to add more ice and to hold Jacob down in the the water so that his body will cool. He awakens in bed, not with Jesse, but with Sarah, and tells her of this strange dream in which they were divorced and he lived with Jesse. Gabe comes into the room and asks Jacob to put him back to bed after a bad dream. They talk, and Jacob puts him back to bed before waking up again in his apartment with Jesse. That day, a man from his unit in Vietnam calls him. They meet at a bar. Paul, this man, believes he's being followed and has been seeing the same things as Jacob. They wonder why they can't remember the night of the attack in Vietnam and if it may be connected. As they leave the bar, Jacob stops to pick up a penny. Paul looks back at him as he starts his car, and then it explodes. At Paul's funeral, Jacob gathers all of the guys from his unit and gets them to agree to try and file suit against the government for whatever it is that happened to them in Vietnam. The six of them contact a lawyer who agrees to look into their case and decide if he'll take it. Later, Jesse tells him the lawyer called, saying that he wouldn't take their case because all of his friends had backed out. When Jacob contacts one of them, he's told that he should just leave it alone, that it's not worth it. He calls the lawyer who tells him there's not even any record of them having served in the military while walking outside sometime later some men attempt to abduct jacob he bails out of the car but is left lying in the gutter bruised and beaten mysteriously a salvation army santa steals his wallet and leaves him there jacob then appears to be admitted into a hospital having been discovered by a patrolman but the institution becomes more and more hellish as he advances toward the operating room there the surgeon tells him he's already dead as Jezzy appears in scrubs watching wordlessly he wakes in a normal hospital, confined to a bed. Lewis comes charging in, yelling at the hospital staff and taking Jacob out. Lewis works him over again, claiming he just has a slip disc, and though it's painful, Jacob feels better when it's done. At home, he looks over his discharge documents from the war, just before seeing another blurry face demon. Jesse then comes home, asking where he's been and showing concern. The phone rings, and Jacob pretends not to be home until he hears Jesse mention an experiment, and then he takes the receiver. A man asks him to meet. Jacob leaves and discovers Michael Newman, who confesses he was a chemist working for the army during the war, and helped develop a drug that would make soldiers more aggressive. Jacob's unit became the first live test, but instead of using that aggression in battle, they turned on each other. As he leaves, dazed, Jacob gets in a cab and asks the driver to take him home. He then flashes back to the moment he remembers being stabbed in Vietnam, realizing that it was one of his fellow soldiers and not the Viet Cong. He gives the driver the address to his apartment with Sarah. Jacob enters the seemingly empty apartment and reminisces about Sarah, Gabe, and the kids until morning. As he gets up, he sees Gabe sitting on the stairs. He takes his son's hand and walks up into the sun-drenched second floor. We then cut back to Vietnam, where two doctors are working over Jacob's body. One of them, pronounces Jacob dead. And the two leave the tent with his body still on the table.
3: Thanks for that, Justin. Good job. Up yeah. oh, gee, guys. All right. So uh, now that now that spoilers are fair game, what do we what do we want to jump into? Do we want to shoot right to the end? Do we want to kind of work our way up to that? We should probably shoot right to the ends.
0: What okay. Do you?
2: I mean, I was going to posit a uh, demon sex scene, but...
0: I mean, feel free. Yeah, take with that take well. the podcast where you like to go.
2: <laughs> demon sex scenes? Apparently. Is that where I like to go? I, I guess so. <laughs> Uh I don't know. I mean, we talked a little bit about it in the um in the spoiler free section that just that whole sequence in general, yeah, um, and I thought that was one of the probably the the weirder moments of the movie
0: definitely
3: yeah, um, absolutely. I would say second to the the hospital sequence
2: I would argue that the demon sex scene is weirder than the hospital sequence all
0: right i don't yeah. know i'm i'm on I'm on that page
1: I was trying to figure out okay, was she. A demon or the person she was like kind of doing the weird sexy dance with the demon, or were they both demons? Like I couldn't tell where things were coming out of like what body parts and
0: whatnot. My interpretation was that the the all of the things that were there that were demony appendages were all separate from her. That they were the person slash thing she was like having sex with, except just dancing with, except having sex with.
2: Yeah, it was pretty sexual.
0: I mean, it it to
3: jump a little bit to the end. I isn't the thing at the end though that it's it's all the same. They're all demons.
0: I guess? Yeah. yeah.
3: So I but like, in like but an yeah, in the context sense. of that scene. Yeah. But but yeah, in in the context of that scene though, yeah, I think that um yeah, I think the implication was was everything was was separate from her.
1: I just try to figure out I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to understand what the greater implications of that scene are. Like is it that I just I don't know I don't know what like not that okay not to like say that every scene needs to have a point but I was trying to kind of figure out like okay what are we what are they trying to get across with this other than like scary shit is happening that's like kind of sexy also but then there's like a guy with a Godzilla tail like fucking her on a dance floor I don't know what are your deeper (laughs) insights into this scene
0: it's a good question I don't know that i necessarily have any i like i feel like it was just the kind of thing that was supposed to be his like moment of total degradation like complete breakdown and so they just tried to come up with something that was crazy and outlandish to be the focal point of this like breakdown
2: also i really like the question that justin asked when we were watching it which was what must filming this scene have been like for the actress
1: yeah like can you just take this tail and put it between your legs and like you know kind of dry hump it
0: but like somebody else had to have been controlling all of those things like they had to have been like independently moving
2: yeah it was i don't know there's a lot going on then we find
0: Uh, out that she
1: started dating the puppeteer afterwards
3: (laughs) (laughs) not even the puppeteer just the puppet (laughs) oof
2: yikes and uh, that's that's been our episode. I think we'll just end there. <laughs> yeah,
0: just, there's no... That, that's it. We're good.
2: Um, One of the things that I found really interesting was that uh, uh, Jacob was extremely attractive to all of the women that he met.
0: For being like a not that attractive dude. Nope.
1: Yeah. Like Tim Robbins, was... but like, yeah, he was not... He's not someone who I Tim, would think everyone would just like drop their pants for. Right then. Tim Robbins also
0: like like aged a lot better than he looked then. Like he looks better as an older guy now than he does in Jacob's Ladder.
1: Oh yeah, he was much harder, hotter in uh, Zathura, which we also covered. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I forgot that was him. <laughs> yeah, he's the dad. He's in the Zathura. dad.
3: Oh my god! And
0: also Jacob Singer.
1: I would hook up with the Zathura dad, but not Jacob Singer. Just putting that out there. Glad <laughs> this this may point that. to
0: other inclinations.
2: <laughs> Quite possibly. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess now we really should talk about the ending, because in context of the ending, it totally makes sense that all of the women he encountered
0: yeah, find him attractive. It's yeah. yeah. a good point. I actually had not thought of that at all. Yeah. It didn't I, cross my mind. That's what
3: I was going to say. Yeah, as I think that it's because it's, I mean, it's all, none of it's real. It's, it's a weird, it, it's either in his head or it's hell. It's not hell, but it's Jacob's ladder from from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, it's that from one here, from here to hell. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know. it, that was I. I'll say this very briefly. I I liked how they like still like worked the name into into all of it, but particularly when the movie is called Jacob's Ladder and they have that like early shot of just like, like the the anti drug ad where it's like hell is what it's like to be on drugs or whatever, I like, do but it doesn't that. have to be. Yeah, and I'm just like. And it's the whole thing where it's like you had already seen the Vietnam thing with him like getting stabbed. I'm like, okay, so he's in hell, or like he's like on his way like to heaven. So he's he's died. It's it's Jacob's ladder. It's it's getting it's getting to heaven. That's what the movie's about. But then it felt like there was supposed to be like a lot of tension to like, oh, is he dead? Is he not? I'm like, no, he, clearly yes, right? Like we've that's the name of the movie. And yeah. there was that other stuff and the fact that he was you know bayoneted and just has a slipped disc from that. Like I he's dead right he's in hell
1: it's interesting because like the alternative life he imagined for himself in this dying dream which i think is like in television tropes and idioms i believe that is the name of this trope is the uh dying dream uh which is like when you have a story and it's weird and it's one of those things where you're like oh okay so it was all just a dream but no it's specifically the vision that they're having as they're dying um but like that he imagined his life as like, okay, so I'm living in this kind of rundown apartment with this woman who I work with at the post office or uh, no, who. And I guess he did. In real life, did he work in the post office or was that just in his dream?
3: I think also real. It's hard to say because there's that brief sequence where he like has the, the second dream slash seems like he wakes up when he's with his his old wife. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, it's it was Jesse from the post office. Like, can you believe it?
0: It's unclear whether he works there, but that I don't think so, because be he
2: a... was a professor. Like,
0: Cause, well, they called him professor. But I think that's because he had a Ph.D. Yeah, but it was because he had like he was technically like he was a I guess he would be a doctor of whatever it was that he. I the guy I think it's just, I think it just but, a philosopher. Yeah, but they called him professor. His um, chiropractor
3: said like, oh, you philosopher, you got all this figure. So I think it's just literally
0: yeah. like a a Doctor of But philosophy. I don't think it's ever established... I mean, he was probably an adjunct while he was getting a PhD, but it's never established that he was, like, a professor.
2: Okay, well, he lived in a really, really nice apartment for a post-worker.
3: Could have been money. That's true. Don't get me wrong, like, but I, I think that you're right, though. We, we don't know that he
0: was for sure a post-worker. Also,
2: worker. literally everything in the entire movie could be just made-up nonsense. Well, that's like, that's my
0: thing, is that, like, no matter what, everything, including that dream sequence, mm-hmm. takes place in time... In, time within his own personal timeline that would be post Vietnam. Yeah. And post Vietnam did not happen. Yeah. So like, like he was going, he went to school for the PhD. (laughs) All of that happened. He went to Vietnam when he got out of Vietnam, when he decided that he, like after what he had seen in Vietnam, he was like, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have to think anymore is what he said to Danny Aiello's character, Mm. right? The chiropractor. And, and he was like, and so he's like, that's when I, you know, that's when I just got this post office job. And that's what the, you know, the, and that's how things snowballed in this and that and the other. And so it's like, yeah. if that happened post Vietnam in this like weird, you know, death hallucination that is Jacob's ladder, then it I guess it probably goes that he never actually worked for the post office. Probably like he probably never met Jesse. Like Jezzy is a, f- a complete figment of his imagination. It certainly could be
1: because I assume that because I don't know just because the, the conversation he had with his wife in that one scene where he was having a fever dream within his dying dream. It's a lot of dream within a dream inception-y stuff going on. Yeah, But um, that she was really, she really was someone who they knew in life and she worked at the post office and that's how they knew her. Um, And so that's, I mean, that's what was kind of weird to me. Like in his dying dream, this like really significant thing, he chose this like total random person uh to represent his version of hell like being in a relationship with jesse is like very much kind of his vision of hell and i don't know it was i was trying to figure that out and like it just seemed really random to me but i guess like one of the things that does make jacob's ladder kind of eerie is that oh fuck what's that quote from uh it's like hell is your life gone wrong it's from another movie oh god
0: hell is your life what
1: gone wrong it's so it's not like demons in hellfire it's like your life gone wrong so it's recognizable and familiar but there's like something very off about it it's like your own life spiraling out of control it's from another movie it's going to drive me crazy i have to think about this
2: um while you're thinking about that that's a theme that we've touched on before uh in our time travel series Mm, yeah uh it's the uncanny valley i guess of something that is familiar but just enough is not right about it to be unsettling, uh-huh. aha,
1: yeah. sorry, that was really unintentionally loud <laughs> uh
2: it 's from what Dreams may Come, which is that Richard oh. Matheson
1: book turned into the robin williams movie
2: yeah i've seen that i've seen that long enough ago that i wouldn't have been able to come up with that so
0: that movie is really trippy yes it is yep. and uh made my list back when i was writing about movies of the top representations of hell in film
2: nice
1: yeah i like the movie better than fun. the book
2: but
0: i it was when i was working at uh, mtv
2: oh gotcha okay uh would you say cleo
1: no i like the uh i read the book uh not that this is something we're covering but it's one of the few instances where i enjoyed the movie like much more than the book hmm. so yeah actually if you like jacob's ladder that's something i would suggest watching because it is kind of like it, they have surreal moments. It's a depiction of the afterlife, and I find it like much more coherent than Jacob's ladder. I, I don't know why I'm so down on Jacob's ladder today. <laughs> I don't feel like I that's was fine. when I watched
3: it. I mean, that's totally valid, right? Um, but yeah, so uh, in response to the why why Jezebel question, um, it makes me wonder. It, it operating from the assumption that he was at least aware of her in life, which I I would I think I would subscribe to. I would say that it seems pretty likely that at least most of the people who are in his, like, death dream are probably people who he, like, saw in real life. And kind of, if it's his unconscious that's doing it, because that's the big thing that it seemed at the end of the movie, the question shifted from, is this really happening, or is it all, like, in his head, or... Like, is it all hell? It seemed like it shifted a lot more to is this just, like, a a death dream and it's just sort of, like, biological processes as he's trying to, like, as his life sort of flashes before his eyes, so to speak, as he's, like, dying on the operating table? Or is it a literal, like, his literal actual journey from the physical world to just leaving that behind and being dead? Um, Like, is he actually going to heaven at the end or is he just, you know, fading away? But... So, pulling from the assumption that it, for either of those to some degree, it's being pulled from his life. My guess is that she was probably someone we had seen on occasion. I wonder if he was just attracted to her, and that was that was the reason for kind of putting them together. Because when uh, when uh, Lewis, his chiropractor, is talking about, it and he kind of sits him down, and he just like it does it a bit of sort of awkward exposition that I feel like ends up feeling only medium awkward even though i feel like it could have been like super awkward and he basically just explains what's happening and he's like oh well yeah like it's like it feels like it's demons tearing your life away but they're just kind of like pulling away and burning off your connections to the world that like and then kind of going back to the scene early on where jezebel like reaches over him and grabs all the pictures and like starts trying to tear them up and she throws them into the incinerator and she's literally burning off his connections to his wife and family, and the only picture that he saves is the one of Gabe, right? And then after that, he seems much, he seems like he's mainly concerned with his memories of Gabe as opposed to his memories of his wife as the Jezebel figment goes and, like, tears away those memories. So I wonder if it's something like that where it's, because, again, if you go by Lewis's definition, the demons aren't trying to hurt him. They're trying to help him. So it's not, the demon that helps him lose that connection to his family comes in and does it by being someone to whom he's also attracted with. I mean, he seems to have a at least some kind of attraction to her, even even as a person. It, you know, I wouldn't call it they have like a super healthy relationship, but no. it you kind of get the impression that that's maybe brought on by how batshit crazy his life is going, and because it seems like most of her reactions to him are like what the fuck is wrong with you like what why are you doing this why are you just like holding up all day like you're acting really weird oh god you're sick and then she kind of kicks in and it seems like that affection takes over at that point so you get the impression that maybe they would have had like a pretty okay relationship before shit started hitting the fan but so that was that was the one thing for me is it made me wonder if the idea was that she wasn't intended to be like a a bad or aggressive kind of person and that the reason why he has that relationship is it's something that kind of like is the least harmful way to remove his attachments to his actual worldly family.
0: I don't know. Makes sense. So I was uh checking through some things. Apparently there's a deleted scene that I think is actually it's like kind of a shame that it was cut uh at the end of the movie when he goes back to his old apartment like right before he's he decides to, you know, to give up. Uh Jezebel is there in the apartment or just yeah. in the scene? In the apartment. Uh, and she, uh, she's, like, trying to stop him from accepting his death. And throughout this, like, throughout this scene and this sort of mild confrontation, she actually is, like, slowly turning into a demon. Like, more or less like the dance scene, but obviously less, like, intense. But it's just, like, slowly, like, parts of her are changing. And she's turning into this, like, actual demon that she is supposed to be and supposed to have been the entire time.
3: Weird. Interesting. That feels like it doesn't really jive with the... And maybe this is why it was cut. It seems like it doesn't really jive with that other definition of the demons as not being there to try and hurt you, but to pull away your worldly attachments. And that's a painful process. Right. But what they're actually trying to do is help you like transition from life on earth to life in heaven. Like, it seems like their goal
0: by that definition. That, but yeah, that both demons and angels are trying to well, do that, the same thing, essentially. They're trying to get you to accept. That they're the same, that they are one and the same. Right. Because that's how the way he phrases it, right? It's like these beings, abstractly, however it is that he puts it, appear as demons when you are resisting, but then appear as angels when
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Maybe I mean maybe that's why it was cut. Like maybe it was a cool scene, but they cut it for that reason.
1: That deleted scene could I mean this would take a little bit more reading into and I like I haven't seen it, so this is totally based on what you just said, Justin. But it could potentially be interpreted as, okay, this is like the final roadblock for Jacob accepting his death and, like, severing his ties to the earth, um, is that he has to take an active role in that. It can't just be, like, the demons doing that for him. So she might represent this, like, one last thing that's trying to pull him back into there, into uh, that limbo, and that the only way that he can kind of ascend or whatever is by taking a much more active role in severing uh, those earthly ties himself when something is, like actively trying to make him not do that
0: yeah that's sweet. yeah I can that's see that. an interesting read
3: i could see it also even being um that that's sort of like the the role that she plays is to transition his uh, feelings of attachment from uh sarah to her and then so at the end the way that they like sever those last ties even to limbo is having her become something frightening or right like otherwise like actively repellent yeah um And then that's sort of like the last straw and it's easier to cut that tie. It's like a long drawn out process to cut the ones to Sarah. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of him forcing him to take a more active role as opposed to it being like this process that he's being put through.
0: Yeah. He's not really doing anything. It's just the slow like idea of accepting death.
3: Yeah. So kind of speaking of Jezebel and Gabriel, uh, I felt like it a lot. Well, a lot of the biblical stuff is a little bit on the nose um, for what, reason i feel like it worked better in this than a, in a lot of other things that do a lot of like hey hey we're alluding to the bible kinds of stuff mm-hmm. and i don't know if i could put my finger on why i was wondering if anyone else had like a feeling i've got it my one hunch is just that they committed to it hardcore it's i mean the movie is called jacob's ladder like that's a known story all of the characters or at least almost all of the characters let's say let's say a lot of the characters have strictly biblical names. Uh, Jacob even says earlier when Jezebel's like talking about the kids' names, she's like, oh, like, why can't you remember? It's like, oh, they're weird names. And he goes, oh, they're biblical
0: names. Yeah. It's just like it. And it, I mean, it's also like even her, like she hates her name. Yeah. Right. Jezebel. And, and she hates the biblical ideals and, and that, like the Christianity, everything. Right. And I mean, Jezebel in the Bible is the, the queen who renounces christianity and tries to like kill eli or is yeah. it eli i don't remember i don't remember who it is yeah. but one of the one of the important prophets yeah. or not quite prophet but i mean
3: she's she's not a hero like she's not yeah she's not remembered or portrayed fondly in those stories
0: right but it's also it's it's they even went as far as in giving jezebel a similar characterization to like yeah. the jezebel of biblical times
3: yeah and i feel like it's the kind of thing where it's it's a little bit it the one time where i felt like it really got to me a a bit is when the angel Gabriel helps him ascend the stairs to heaven. Right. And it's just like, okay, well, that one's a little bit much, but it was the sort of thing where it it felt like they had created a world in which up until then I was just like comfortable with naming the kid Gabe was enough to just be like, Yeah, it fits in the world. This is by and large stuff with biblical names. We have this whole sense of I mean it even right then, right? You have jacob dreaming of this ladder to heaven like it's it was the kind of thing that up until then i was totally willing to just accept as this is just the imagery and thematics that this movie has been going for so we'll see to what degree they take any given aspect of that Mm -hmm. um which i don't know i guess is why like when we got to it i felt more of like a oh i see now why they did that as opposed to like a yes we get it the angel gabriel on board because I feel like, I don't know, I almost feel like up until then, Gabe is sort of an angelic figure, partially just because he died. Yeah. Right? Like, he was killed in that car crash. It. He's a bit of, like, I mean, it's it's not quite Gabriel, but he's a bit of, like, a cherub figure throughout a lot of it. Again, Gabriel, not Gabriel's a, a cherub, giant but he's archangel, an archangel. But... but, I don't know, like, it sort of things like that where I was like, oh, it seems like they're already kind of getting some mileage out of the name to make him this sort of, like, pure angelic figure. Mm-hmm. And so that they sort of came back around to that in a different way, maybe, was it? I don't know. I, It feels like the kind of thing where in so many other situations, it would have rubbed me weird. And i had been like, yes, I get it. Heavy-handed biblical references. I don't know. But I think there's a very small handful of people who can do that. And I end up like cool with it. It's like Cormac McCarthy and apparently this. And I guess like a few other sort of like choice instances. But usually it feels like it rubs me weird. It, did anyone have kind of a specific take on that? Am I the only one who wasn't bothered by this?
0: No, I mean, I wasn't really bothered by any of the either but one you're i come from a place of being incredibly unfamiliar with everything but the broadest of strokes when it comes to the bible so like it wasn't until after the film when i was looking more deeply into it that i even knew of jacob's ladder as a concept mm. um but the biblical stuff all like i picked up on almost all of the actual biblical stuff in the movie because so many of the things that are referenced are incredibly common knowledge and the, the naming conventions and hmm. and the religious ideals that were presented and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I mean, they went like whole hog uh, when I was looking in, into like different, like just facts about the movie and all kinds of stuff, like afterwards to try to pull it all in uh, even the, like the chiropractor being this angelic figure, like Mm-mm. within the Bible, there is this important, like, I don't know how important, but there's a story in which Jacob like has his hip dislocated by an angel in a fight. Mm-hmm. And so this angel is, he's supposed to be like the, the flip side of that angel where he's like, he's representing this biblical story, but doing the reverse of what mm. that angel had actually done in the Bible. Like they went deep cuts. Yeah. Apparently. But yeah, none of it really, it didn't bother me, I guess, because I, I had already known to expect it from what I had heard, Mm. despite somehow not being able to hear that Jacob's Ladder was a, was itself a biblical thing.
2: I I wouldn't say I was bothered by it. I don't know. I, I don't really feel a whole lot about this movie in general. So like, Mm. it like, wasn't, it didn't particularly stand out to me as too much Mm -hmm. and I wasn't really thinking about it. How would you clear? I just feel like I don't know enough about the
3: Bible
1: <laughs> to really like I mean I know some of the basic stories, but a group of heathens over here. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I am actively pagan, so <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like I feel like okay, maybe this will have a deeper meaning to someone who grew up Christian or uh continues to be Christian. That's not like a large group of people in my friend's circle. Uh but, yeah, I would actually be really interested in getting the input of someone who is better versed in Old Testament and New Testament stuff. I, I don't know anything about either Testament, really.
3: Well, there's few benefits to Catholic school. You appreciate <laughs> all kinds of literary references. They don't recommend that you read the things that have those references, but, you know. You
0: always get around to it. Yeah, you get there eventually. And
3: that's interesting, though, because I don't know. Like Normally it's the kind of thing that ends up feeling heavy-handed and rubs me the wrong way. So,
0: but somehow Jacob Ladder was able to uh, to skirt that line.
3: Yeah, that really it felt like it put itself in, in a camp that I was like much more like impressed and interested in. Which I don't know, maybe that's part of why I felt like I liked it a lot. Was I can't put my finger on why it was like okay to me, but I was impressed that it was. So actually, uh, we mentioned it very briefly. The um, so there's that poster that's like, oh, it's like hell is what your life is like, like when you're on drugs. That was one of those things that really made me think that it seemed to be set in the '90s. Like, that struck me as way more of, like, a a 90s-style subway ad. Like, I, I'll i be the first to say, I don't know enough about, uh, like, the visual history of New York to have, like, those few bits of the city that we got to see. And be like, oh, this is what, like, a post office would have looked like in the 70s. Or, oh, this is what, like, the New York subway l- looked like in the 70s versus the 90s. Or even to what extent the subway existed in the 70s. Right. Um, but even with that and just, like, some of the clothes styles and stuff. But it was a few things... Like that, that really made me think that the, the not Vietnam stuff seemed like it was, it was at least a bit anachronistic, which was one of the things that made me like feel strongly like, okay, so this certainly doesn't seem to be real. Cause no one is, like, he hasn't aged at all and no one is dealing with the fact that he was, uh, that was the one way also I could explain the slipped disc versus stabbed in the stomach difference. I was like, okay, well maybe it's just been like 20 years. So he's in, like, an okay position to just be like, yeah, you were bayoneted in the stomach, but they took care of that, and everything there is is okay. And now you have independently from your war injury slipped your disc after coming back to, like, regular life. But that was the big thing where I... That was one of the places where I just, like, I really wasn't sure. And I think that that mainly comes from my my ignorance of what what the city was like in, you know, 75. I'm trying to think of, like music that was going i mean they're the group of girls who sing wait a minute mr postman which i guess skews more towards the 70s
1: but they wouldn't be oh yeah but if we start saying well this song came out after vietnam then is he (laughs) dreaming about songs that are real and did happen in the future but then didn't exist in his world at that time it it gets convoluted if you start going down which i guess lends itself towards
3: 1961 61 yep for what mr postman yeah 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 no I knew that that one would have been around for for immediately post vietnam but but at yeah, the same it's hard time to
0: say also i mean I feel, they did film the thing on location, from, yeah, from what I could tell, like everything is in filmed in new york and and set in New York, so to what extent were they able to even like recreate the subway of the seventies versus just having the subway of the nineties because it hadn't changed radically
3: yeah I mean right if maybe that was supposed to just make you feel uncomfortable it's like it's maybe it's like it follows our our watch from when we did this topic last year and it's just sort of weird and anachronistic and part of what is creepy is that it's hard to place when it is set yeah i mean i mean it's clearly not at least in the case of this it's clearly not post 90s right that's about all we can say but that it could sort of be somewhere along that spectrum i don't know Which... if the presence of jason alexander just makes me think it's 90s because Again,
1: Seinfeld?
0: Yeah, we just jumped to Seinfeld. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess that's. Hell is timeless. <laughs> uh, ultimately, it really could be any time in in the 70s or the 80s. And it's kind of hard to nail down. Yeah.
1: Well, except like that his kids hadn't aged also since. Also true. Like, he
0: like, and his children had
1: not aged. Vietnam or, or whatever. whatever.
3: Yeah. 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 But it was the kind of thing that made me wonder. It's like, oh, well, is that because, like, is that meant to be an indicator that. Everything is not as it seems is that because it looked like the other guy, like the other, the other guy in the battalion who um, like who kind of went catatonic in during the fight. Mm-hmm. When he comes and talks to him in the bar, he looks like he's aged more than other people have.
1: I was just thinking that was because he wasn't handling the uh, visions very well.
3: It, which it totally could be. Um, I mean, I certainly wouldn't pa- put it past this movie to make something vague. God forbid. So, or leave something open to interpretation.
1: That was, that was one of the weird things for me. Like, okay, in retrospect, knowing that everything that happened was a dying dream. Like, he had these interactions with the other members of the battalion, and that seemed very much like, okay, we're here together. We know why we're all having the visions. It's because of the drugs that they used uh, used us as guinea pigs for, but yeah they were test subjects for whatever drug in this universe, or was that also supposed to be true and he discovered that during his dying dream, while at the same time having this spiritual revelation it was it was weird, but like he had this interaction with that guy and then the the other guys, and it went really conspiracy theory and it went really in depth with that. And then to have it all kind of thrown aside, and it's like no, none of that it was actually real. It's all just part of your like dying hallucination,
3: which maybe suggests. I mean, does that end up falling towards less of it's a dying hallucination, and it's like a genuine religious experience? I mean, it, the the chemist guy, we've we've been calling him Newman, but he's he's got a biblical name as well. He's Michael. So I mean, like, is this? As goofy as it sounds, is that intended to be, like, this is Michael coming and explaining to him, like, this is what happened to you and giving him closure? Is it him, like, piecing it together? Is it him creating an explanation? It feels like... It feels
0: like that last one. Yeah, it
2: feels like him creating an explanation because, like, you know, if, if he's if he's trying to separate from from real life, then one of the things he needs is, like, why why did, why does war happen? Why did this fight break out? Like, why did I have to die? And the explanation that is cooked up in this place is, oh, yeah, like, your squad specifically was targeted for this crazy, like, wartime drug that specifically made you violent, and this is why you experienced violence. Well, do you remember,
1: except, do you remember the text at the end of the movie that was like, fade the black in vietnam there were reports that you know soldiers were experimented on with such and such hallucinogens it was a little last thing to come at the tail end which made it seem yeah but like yeah the, his the little
0: paragraph this. at the end
1: yeah which made it seem like it was significant enough that they felt the need to put it, this in there which means that part may have been true or real yeah and he just had to, like figure it out for himself
2: well i'm gonna put it i'm gonna say this like maybe it was real but specifically because literally everything that happened in the movie was part of his dying dream means that there's we nobody can say with any certainty whether it was real or not.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean like, cause, yeah, ultimately the the fact that he gets an explanation doesn't matter because he gets an explanation during his own death throes hallucination.
3: Well, unless it's literal, right? Like it isn't that the question here. Is the options are it's a hallucination that he has as like the chemicals in his brain start firing in a strange way as his body shuts down or it's a genuine religious experience where he is literally set upon by angels and demons who remove his relations to the world and he's potentially visited by michael who comes to give him Closure and explains, and explains
0: exactly what actually happened. Yeah,
3: because he is dying and because as he's been going through this, he's been searching for that closure and it's, like, clear that he's dying. So Michael comes to him and says, here is what happened. And because that's the big trigger, right? Like, that's the it's thing that lets him accept, him accept it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, is that he's, like, lost enough of those connections and he's sort of hanging on by a thread. And he's had all those experiences, right, where he's he feels like he's being, like, burned by ice and he's... Just like feeling like hot and crazy, and he's seeing all these things and he's experiencing hell. And so, Michael comes to him and says, "Like and helps him come out of that and helps him accept that." As those like worldly ties are being burned away by, like, by his fever, by his experience. I feel like, it, at least to me, that's the that's the question of the movie, right? Because it seems pretty clear from relatively early on that. This isn't actually happening to him. I mean, like, maybe it is because it's a movie and things like that can actually happen. But sure. it, I feel like, at least for me, that was the big thing. Like, it became pretty clear early on. That's what I was alluding to earlier, that I felt confident that I could sit on the, no, this isn't really happening side of mm. the, oh, is he seeing things? Is something going on? Blah, blah, blah. Sort of question. Like, no, yeah, he's he's seeing things. This isn't real. But um, anyway. But so with with stuff like that, at least to me, right, that seems like that's the question is, is he hallucinating or is he having a genuine religious experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I just never took the like the extra step to the movie being legitimately religious as opposed to just allegorically religious.
3: I mean, it seems like that's I mean, I guess it's hard to say that the movie is one way or the other because it seems like the movie is trying to pose the question, right? Like it's it's asking you whether you think he's.
2: I'm not the kind of person who would make that leap like mm. on, on my own. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I don't go for religious as an explanation in general. So that's not something that I would take away from it. So it's very possible, but even it's not a, it, it's what? Even in fiction? Yeah. It's, that's not, that's not my go-to for mm. any circumstance. So, uh, like I would need somebody to specifically point that out to me as before I even posited it on my own. Mm. So I, I would certainly not have gone there you suggesting it means yeah that's possible but that's gotcha. not where i would go on gotcha. my own
3: yeah that's what like i was saying that's what it seemed like the tension of the film was by the end was uh, whether or not it was a a human chemical thing or whether it was a genuine religious like transition from one life to the next
0: yeah
2: i suppose you will get more out of this movie if you're not a dirty heathen
3: i don't know i'm a dirty heathen well i just got you're a well-read dirty heathen yeah yeah, yeah i guess that would be it.
1: yeah I think we just got our band name, guys, the Dirty
2: Heathens. No, no, no We're the well-read we're Dirty We're the well-read heathens. <laughs> Dirty
0: Heathens. It's got to be long and weird if you're going to be a punk rock or a punk rock band. So That's objectively untrue. Yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite. Punk rock bands have short names.
1: Oh, no. We already broke up the band. Well-read
3: would be the first album. I'll take it. Yeah. Or that's like the secret name that we perform under once we're famous. Right. The well-read. Kind of like that as a band name that's a That's, decent band that's name. pretty cool. So one of the other things that I really liked about this was the flipping of the idea of Jacob's ladder this sense that uh, when when Newman is talking about the ladder in the context of the movie of the drug that they used to incite this like anger and violence that they called it that because it gave you a like a quote unquote like fast trip straight down the ladder um, as opposed to being something that you kind of like ascend. I, don't know, I thought that that was a good flip on that. I, I, I another one of those points where the uh, it felt like it was having like an interesting dialogue with with its own imagery, as opposed to just like feeling like sort of like a a cheap easy grab at relevance by pulling in biblical names or ideas that it was seemed to actually be like engaging with it. Um, yeah, that was that was the other one. That was the big one that I, that was the one I forgot.
0: Mostly curious, how much does anybody really have anything left? to say about jacob's ladder
2: um i guess i i'll just say like uh for all of my general dismissiveness towards the movie just whatever uh i did actually enjoy the portrayal of the the demons as like the like the twitching vibrating like like yeah that's a, like a thing weird that faces like... kind of people
0: a thing that happens in pop culture as representation. And that is uh, one of the, like of all of the things, it's something that people easily point to Jacob's ladder as being like foundational, like that representation of sort of like paranoia of, of like, and, or I guess like demonic, like,
2: yeah, I think there was that moment where he avoided getting run over by the car where we then get a shot from inside the car and the face that, was seen staring out at him is moving in the camera shot through the car i thought that was a really cool moment yeah yeah and i definitely like obviously yeah that's something i've seen before but i i could tell that this is sort of where we it was seen first and that was it was really neat i liked it a lot
3: yeah i wanted to ask about that because i've seen that in other stuff but again this totally goes back to like i might have my my biblical history and references down like pretty okay Uh, I do not have that horror history down in the same way. Like, I know I've seen that before, but can anyone think of uh, instances that predate this? Obviously, like, understanding that, like, our knowledge isn't perfect and we might not get it exactly right. But this certainly seems to be one of the earliest times I've seen that. And
0: people do that all the time now. Yeah, my, my general understanding is that Jacob's Ladder created that image. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, I also like the skin stretched over the face entirely. So yeah. there's, like, no yeah, facial features. It's one. very uh, slender man ish
3: A few of those reminded me a little bit. It, like, it wasn't strictly that, but I'll, there were several moments of this that reminded me a lot of that one Twilight Zone episode. Um, with, like, the, the doctors and the nurses, and they've got, like, the... It, I always remember it as, like, it looks like a, a mask for, like, the top half of the face, and they've got, like, just the disfigured faces.
2: Uh, are you talking about the, like, title card Twilight Zone image from that's on Netflix now?
3: Yes, I think that they do pull from that one. Yeah, I don't remember the name of that episode, but yeah, I don't remember I,
2: either. I, I the only time I ever watched Twilight Zone is when it's marathoning around Fourth of July. Hmm. That's like the only time I ever watch a Twilight Zone.
3: It's a good episode. Yeah, um, it's not the it's not the like like number eight looks just like you one, but it's another one that deals with that same thing of like enforced conformity via surgery, um, hmm. except in this case done by like scary looking things but i it reminded me a a lot of of that one but yeah that that instance though when they're they're coming in and they like they stick the needles like right into his forehead but it's the guy with like the the skin like pulled way over his face and mm-hmm. yeah yeah i feel like i'll say that too it it seemed like some of the really effective creepy moments at least for me again keeping in mind that i'm the person here who's most easily creeped out by shit um were ones that they didn't like i feel like so many other times when i see creepy movies they'll really, like, hammer in on just, like, oh, see, we made a scary thing. But in this, it seemed like they... It was really kind of a light touch. Like, they used the vibrating face several times, and they used kind of, like, the the pulled-over skin a few times. But a lot of times, you only see it briefly. Like, the the nurse with, like like, the weird, like, teeth in the top of her head or something? Yeah. Like, it's just there for a second. You don't really even have, like, long enough to register what it is, and I feel like that makes it creepier. Like, if you go back and you look at, like, a still image, it's... It's still, like, weird, but it's... Like, those weird little things where they, they know to, like, get you out of there pretty soon. you just, like, just enough to be, like, unsettled and you're not sure what you saw, but you know it was wrong. I felt like that was a good touch. Again, I don't know that it's, like, super effective all the way through, but it's... I feel like it's the kind of thing that a lot of movies don't do. I mean, like, the new the new Blair Witch movie, right? Like, that caught, like, a bunch of flack because it, like, shows the witch. It's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that was what's really good about Blair Witch Project. And yeah. I don't know.
2: I've never seen The Blair Witch Project. just want to point that out. I really liked it. It's very good.
3: Yeah. Spoilers. You don't see The Witch.
2: I, I knew that. Yeah.
3: I, <laughs> Turns out that helps a lot for making that movie. <laughs> 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 but yes, I don't know. So stuff like that. And again, it not that it really comes together overall as like a really good scary movie, but it did have some like really good stuff going. It seemed like there were some good philosophies behind like how to make a creepy thing. Maybe they don't all hold up super well as we discussed, but... I like that they were smart enough not to like pat themselves on the back too much for making like a really scary face.
0: Yeah. All right.
2: Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Like any scene sequences?
3: I think that was my list. I mean, like I said, I I really thought that um, other than that sequence with the the subway at the beginning was was a pretty effective one. I thought that was good. Yeah. Um,
2: the subway car with the eerily glowing people all specifically looking at him. That was that was neat.
3: Yeah. Even just as he, like, walks through, like, the subway station and he, like, goes, like, cross the tracks.
2: And he... God. And he, like... He yeah. tests the rail with his foot. Yeah, like, I saw, man, like, hope this isn't the one that electrocutes me. Better check. Better check because check. that's how electricity works, just like a hot stove.
3: Yeah, I'm faster than the electricity. No. Jesus <laughs> Christ.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he took his time crossing those
0: tracks.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, he wasn't being speedy about that whatsoever. And he, he tries to,
0: like, fake time, out the train. Yeah, he also takes his time, like, realizing a train is coming. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, at that point it was goofy, but I feel like the build up to, um, like, that bit where he's, like, walking through and, like, the doors are all closed up and, like, he sees the exit on the other side and he's, like, just going around. He's, like, trapped in a subway station alone. I feel like that made for, like, a good atmosphere. I don't know. I don't watch a lot of horror movies. I don't think, feel like I've seen that a lot of other places. Maybe that's too specific of a reference.
2: Um, if anyone out there ever needs to cross to another side of a subway station, like A, please don't do that. And B, if you're going to, don't, don't, don't touch any of the rails.
3: Just don't, just don't. Yeah. Don't test them with your foot. Yeah. That's bad. Don't do that. Try and go faster
0: than that. Also, I mean, the third rail is large, noticeable, and very explicit.
2: But just don't touch any of them. There's no need. There's no need. (laughs) No need to test them. No need to just avoid them. Yeah. Just don't. That's your strategy.
3: That's our that's our safety tip for the yeah. episode. <laughs>
2: um I guess I I don't really have anything I want to talk about in particular, but I do just want to say like I thought that the hospital sequence was pretty cool. Yeah.
3: I agree. Um We're gonna talk about that one some more, for yeah, sure.
1: Definitely related to uh the evil within, at least in, in my head. <laughs> Yeah,
2: yeah. I was I was literally about to say that's something that I feel like I want to talk about more in relation to The Evil Within specifically.
3: Yeah. But yeah, certainly I think thematically and visually, that at least for me sticks out as the, that with the vibrating faces stick out to me as the easiest things to point to this and be like, yeah, there were like other people who made stuff who really liked this movie and were like inspired by it, whether consciously or not. Um, and... Yeah, like, I feel like that's one of those scenes where certainly visually you can point to all of these other things and be like, ah, yeah, I bet this is where a lot of that came from.
2: Hey, real fast, what's the religious implication of being robbed by Santa Claus?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a long portion <laughs> where Jesus discusses this. <laughs> he sits his disciples um, down.
2: <laughs> so if you ever get mugged by a saint. <laughs> oh, geez.
3: I wonder if that was really to be, like, I don't know, just, like, purely a gag. Like, that's the—
2: I hope so, because that was great.
3: Yeah. Or just to make him sound crazy. It's like, who did this to you? Oh, Santa Claus. It certainly doesn't seem to be winter. Like, that's not a New York winter. Why the—
2: It was snowing in in one of the scenes. Oh, I missed that. The the weather was very crazy throughout throughout the movie, though. Like, it was
3: very
0: kind of— It also didn't seem very well represented in, like, their dress. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Which I, maybe is the intent, right? Yeah. Like maybe it's another one of those things where it's just like it they yeah. don't explicitly say when or what's up with it, but you notice that it's inconsistent.
2: Yeah, like a lot of the time they seem dressed for like early autumn, but there was one scene where it was like heavily snowing in the background yeah. and like It was none. just hell freezing over. Yeah, well, there just was not, like, not that much time passed. So the weather specifically was, and seasons were kind of wonky. Time in general was weird. Yeah.
3: I wonder if that was intentional. I feel like really, I... Probably. That's the kind of thing you I'd really just like to You
2: accidentally, about. like, be like, well, we have to get this scene done, but there's a blizzard, so I guess yeah. we'll just hope nobody notices. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that's what happened, so I that feel seems, like it was intentional.
3: That seems much more likely. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. So with that, uh, after, it's going to be
0: uh, being robbed by Santa Claus. Yeah. Just, uh, to wrap things up.
3: <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't know where else there is to go after robbed by Santa Claus. Um, yes, yeah, so that's going to be it for our Jacob's ladder episode. If you were interested in that, I'm positive. We will be talking about it again in our theme episode, because that's how the theme episode works. <laughs> uh, but that won't be the next one. Next up is evil within. Uh, where well, I guess we're actually going to be talking about this again. Cause we definitely want to bring up the, the hospital scene. So if you were into this, just listen to everything. Um, but yeah, Until then, remember, next time, Evil Within, then theme. After that, it's going to be Sci-Fi Noir with Altered Carbon, Blade Runner, and Gemini Rue. And after that, something else. Who knows? Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We know.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media you can follow us on twitter and instagram at Podcast. like us on facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. check out our tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com and look out for our game streams on twitch at twitch.tv slash read watch
3: The other one is when you're just like sitting or lying down. I guess mainly lying down, and she'll just like walk up on your chest and then just like spin around and just like stick her butt in your face. Yep, and she'll it's just, just
0: just a cat thing.
3: Yeah, I read somewhere online that you're supposed to like blow on it.
2: What? I don't know. What is? It's an in what?
3: Yeah,
0: I'm really glad we're recording this. Yeah, that's the idea. It's
2: it's, it's... why what. <laughs>
3: The big, the thing that I think that I read is they clearly want something from you in that situation. There was something like there was more information on it, but the thing that I took away was they want something from you in that situation, and if you consistently just blow on their butt when they do that, they will. That's just like they'll just be like, yeah, that's the expected response, and they'll have like gotten what they wanted, and it's just like the thing that is easy to do and that you like doesn't involve direct interaction with their butt. (laughs) Okay, I guess.
0: I guess this makes some kind of sense. <laughs> yeah, like
3: they get what they wanted to some degree, and
0: we <laughs> go to a weird place.
3: Yeah. So,
2: do you blow on your cat's butt when she sticks her butt in your face?
3: Yeah, when she comes up and she just like backs her butt like up into <laughs> my face, I just go like, and she just and then she turns back around and she'll like sit back down and she'll just like rub her face on me and then like go back to just like <laughs> sleeping on my chest. <laughs> it was like whatever she was up to, and it's like all right.
0: Cool. Yeah. Can we please put that at the end of this episode? The entire conversation? <laughs> the entire conversation. I can make that happen. I need, I'll need this file. <laughs> All right, we'll save this. Oh, yeah, no.
2: Jesus no. Christ. Oh, my God.
3: I mean, it's the kind of thing, I'm willing to do a weird thing if it gets, like, cat ass out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I cannot approach the beginning
2: of this recording with the city giggles inside of me. <laughs>